0: Well, good morning. Let's try that one more time. I know you guys are awake. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Well, it's great to have you joining us here, both in person and uh, online, however, you're being a part of the service this morning. We're so glad you're with us here this morning. And I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer this morning. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I'm starting to learn to be a ventriloquist or what, but I'm finding that it's, as somebody said to me, it's difficult not to sing, so I'm trying not to move my lips, but I'm trying to sing through my, uh, uh, my voice anyway. So maybe at the end of COVID-19, we'll all be great ventriloquists. Who knows, right? Uh, it's a lot of fun. Why don't we stand as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? I'm going to speak on a, probably a very, uh, I would think a very relevant topic in the light of what we're experiencing right now is I've been ministering to a lot of people are battling depression, and so I'm going to speak this morning on how to find hope in times of depression, and we're going to talk about that today, and I believe that our culture is somewhat depressed right now. How many think that's probably true? I think we could say it's economically depressed. I think people feel uh, a measure of depression is just because we've lost some freedom, so that creates... uh, kind of an oppressed feeling, and so there's a lot of emotional upheaval inside of people. Anybody agree with that this morning? So let's pray along this line. How many think hope is a very powerful term? And when you and I can discover hope, it can actually sustain us in even the most difficult emotional experiences in our lives. We're going to talk about living through dark moments, and I think we're experiencing one right now. So, Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you're a God who hears the cry of the human heart. And, Father, as we're going to look this morning, even godly people can experience depression. We can be challenged by the circumstances of life, and we're going to look at maybe some of the reasons why people have depression, but mostly we're going to focus in on what you come to do about it and how you bring your amazing presence into life's most challenging and difficult moments. And I pray today that out of this experience of hearing uh, the beautiful songs that we were expressing to you, Father, and the words that come from your word, Lord, that we will hear your voice speaking into our innermost being. And I pray today that you would bring hope where there's been despair and depression. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen, you may be seated. How many realize that probably kids today have more money than ever before? Isn't that true? And they're probably exposed to more advertising than ever before. And as a result, children as young, and they've done studies 18 months can identify various na- name brands. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, the golden arches and all the rest of that stuff. And those desires begin to influence how adults spend billions of dollars. And so psychiatrist Juliet Shore, she wrote a book called Born to Buy. Com- the commercialization, the commercialized sorry, the commercialized child and the new consumer culture has discovered that this involvement with consumer culture has led children into more conflict with their parents. It also contributes to anxiety, illness, and depression in some children. Shore sums up the message commercialized children receive. They're more likely to have a poor self-esteem, which is not a surprise because a lot of the messages that consumer culture sends them are that you are a nobody if you don't have the right tennis shoes. Or you're not drinking the right soft drink, so the message is simply you are what you have. Isn't that what the culture's saying today? And isn't that so sad? You know, how about you are what God made you to be? You know, let's go, let's shift the messaging a little bit. But we're living in a culture that's designed to create dissatisfaction. How many know that's true? And really, I mean, the art of the advertising industry is to tell you you need something you don't need you ever thought about that you know a lot of times that's the truth they're telling you you need something you don't need and so it creates this unrealistic and sometimes an unrealized expectation which means that life is less satisfying for many people, and the result is that there's a growing hopelessness for the future, and especially when you have a bump on the road, like you have economic reversals or you have medical reversals. You can have it in your personal life. You can have it culturally, and all of a sudden, hope begins to wane in the culture. You know, one of my seminary courses, this is many years ago, uh, was a course taught by Dr. Richard Hindmarsh, who was both a medical doctor and had also studied biblical counseling with Dr. Lawrence Crabb, who's a great Christian psychologist. And it actually began, the course was called Affective Disorders, which is really a fancy name for dealing with things like depression. And so I spent an entire week listening and trying to learn about depression, how it affects people both physiologically but also socially, and then we looked at it spiritually. So there's a tremendous component to this. this is a very complex, actually, theme or topic this morning. And to just give you a little bit of an idea, uh, maybe simplify the model for us a little bit, let me just say that there are two basic kinds of depression. The first is usually a response to negative external problems because of a real or a perceived sense of loss. And I think that we're experiencing that at this point in our lives. And then there's the second kind of depression, which is probably more severe, longer in duration, and generally runs in families. We'd say that has more of a genetic predisposition. And, you know, we recognize that DNA has some parts to play in people's lives, and so they're more given to depression. And this second type especially creates chemical imbalances. And so we have to recognize, you know, and I've I've listened to lecturers and Uh, on the human brain and how the brain works. And uh, we are affected by our experiences in life and we have, uh, you know, basically we could say we have a bunch of chemicals floating inside of us, but they're activated and triggered many times by external forces that are coming into our lives and by our own human emotions. So uh, depression, I would say, is not new to our time. You know, humanity has always experienced depression since the beginning of the fall. And we can see that some very godly people in the Bible struggled with moments of depression or times of depression. They've had depressive episodes in their lives. Like think of Job. I mean, you can't read that book and not see that Job was battling depression. And then you, you take a look at the life of David. Uh, David had moments of depression. How many say, you know, you can't blame him. He had gone through some great difficulties in life And then we're going to look at one of the characters today, the man, the great prophet Elijah. And Elijah himself is a classical study in depression in 1 Kings chapter 19. And that's going to be our text today. Now, I want you to know that there's some very godly Christians have also battled depression. Some of you may recognize the name of Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in the last generation. And uh, Charles Spurgeon had bouts of depression. Despair came over his soul. Very effective, successful, dynamic, leader, and yet had moments of great depression in his life and had to overcome those bouts in his soul. And and then John Cooper, who was a great hymn writer, and he had great, and and probably wrote some of the greatest hymns of the church while he was battling depression. So we're going to take a look at uh, this topic today. You know, the book of James reminds us that Elijah was a man like us. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 5, verse 17, he says Elijah was a human being even as we are. Or another translation says Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, you know, sometimes we put people up on a pedestal, we make them superstars, you know, and obviously Elijah was really a man after God's own heart. He knew God, he was a messenger from God. He he I mean just think of him challenging an entire nation with their sin, confronting them and challenging the corrupted value system and the synergism that was happening in their worship where they were worshiping both Yahweh but they were also embracing Baal worship and he confronted that on a national level. How much courage would that take? So he was a tremendous man of God and yet in 1 Kings chapter 19, he's now struggling Deeply, because, you know, what had just transpired. Chapter 18 is probably the high point of his life where he's literally calling down fire from heaven and, you know, the nation is falling on their face and they're screaming Yahweh is the Lord and they're destroying the prophets of Baal and Ashereth and... uh, And yet he anticipates a great movement of God in the nation. And when that doesn't transpire, I believe that we see that Elijah kind of goes into a tailspin. As a matter of fact, his life is on the line. Jezebel hears about what he's done, killed all her prophets, and she says, if I don't get a hold of you, Elijah, I'm going to just wipe you out. And then we read in chapter 19, he's running away, and we find him sitting under a tree saying to God, would to God I could just die. I mean, you know, that's kind of a low point in his life. So I think when you read through chapter 19, you're going to discover all the signs of depression. Let me just give you a number of those uh, symptoms or signs that you may be depressed. First of all, there's withdrawal from normal activity, and then there's a lot of negativity, a diminishing interest in usual activities, self rejecting attitudes, a loss of self esteem, a sense of worthlessness. And physically, we can see a loss of energy, a diminished capacity to concentrate and think, often with a change in our sleep patterns and our eating patterns. Either when we struggle, we can have excessive indecisiveness, hopelessness, suicidal thoughts and feelings, as well as experiencing significant weight loss or weight gain. Isn't that amazing? So these are a lot of how many can begin to see there's some emotional expressions here, there's some physiological expressions here, and I would say there's even spiritual expressions here. Now I'm not an expert on depression, you know, but I I am, you know, a a person who understands who a little bit who God is and understands the word of God. So we're gonna look at this from a spiritual biblical perspective, all right? And and that's what I want to do this this today. Now the psalmist David I'd mentioned earlier battle depression. And and in Psalm 42, verse 6, again he repeats it in verse 11. And then again in Psalm 43, verse 5, it's the same verse. And this is what David says. And this is why I know uh, David battled depression. He says, why my soul are you so downcast? Interesting word, downcast. Why am I on the low level here? Why am I despairing? Why am I battling this? blackness in my soul why so disturbed within me and then he talks to himself he says put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my savior and my God so David is talking to himself and by the way I think that's healthy and uh you know and then he answers himself You know, some people say that's bad, but I don't think so. I think if you have the right answer, you know, a lot of us have the wrong answer, but David had the right answer. He says, Listen, I know you're down. He says, Why are you down so far, but then he, he's not trying to figure out, he's asking the question, but I don't think he's making a diagnosis of why he got here. He's more concerned about how to get out of here. And I think when we, when we have those moments in our life, we're trying to say, you know, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go to some other place. And David says the answer to this is put your hope in God. And I believe that that's where we're going to find the answer to seasons of depression in our lives. And so I'm going to look at four aspects today that help bring hope in times of depression so that you and I can move beyond that stage in our lives. And the uh, the first one is four aspects, I call that of God's grace. What is grace? Here's the good news. Grace is a gift. It literally means gift that you and I don't earn. You and I don't deserve it. You and I need it. And how many know when you're really low and you're really discouraged and you're in despair and you're not thinking straight, you probably need help? Anybody say say, that's true? I need help. And God says, I'm here to help you. I'm going to show you my mercy. I'm going to come with grace in this situation. And first of all, he ministers to us at our point of need. And, And it begins with our physiology, you know, the weariness, the tiredness, and all the rest of that. And so... I believe that there are people that literally become physically and emotionally incapable of moving forward into their lives until God comes and helps them and touches their lives. And I want you to notice here in 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is where I text is, I'm going to start verse 5 here. It says, all at once, after he had said, I just want to die, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Isn't that neat? So God. God doesn't come along and say, what's your problem, Elijah? He didn't chide him. He didn't correct him. He didn't do any of those things. He saw the state he was in. He saw the pain he was in. He saw the brokenness he was in. And he came along and he sent an angel to feed him. And so this is one of the cases where I could say, you know, Elijah's eating angel food, you know. He really is. I don't know what he was feeding him, but he was feeding him something supernatural because we're going to read a little later on that in the strength of what he ate, he could go 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that's pretty good. It says, you know, I say to myself, I'm kind of struck with two thoughts here. First of all, God begins by ministering to the needs of his servant, and we see how much God cares because he sends an angel to him. And I think a person that That is struggling needs assistance. A person who is struggling needs someone to come alongside of him and God in his mercy sent this angel. This was a person who was struggling with a sense of abandonment. And I I think most of us, when we're really hurting deeply, one of the questions that enters our mind is, if God loves me so much, why is he letting me experience this pain and suffering? Isn't that kind of a question we ask ourselves? And I'm here to declare to you today There's reasons why God allows suffering to come into our lives, but let me just, I'll get to that in a moment, but I'm gonna just say this. What you need to hear today is that God cares about you. You need to hear that. You need to know that you're not alone. And God has not abandoned you. And Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God walks with us, not just in the high points of life, but God also walks in the darkest moments of our soul. And the good news is you may feel like you've been abandoned. You may feel like nobody cares. You may feel and wonder if God cares, but I want to declare to you today that God deeply cares about you and is walking with you. You need to hear that. He's with you. So, I, you know, we can, we can say that. The second thought I see here is that depression affects us physically. It affects our bodies, you know. We can't sleep or else we're sleeping too much. I remember years ago we had someone stay with us and they were battling depression. They were sleeping every day for 13 hours. I knew they were depressed. I mean, that's not normal, you know. And they were lethargic. And, uh, all kind, you know, and, we, and and later on, as we began to explore and chat with this person, they were staying with us for a few weeks, we began to realize that there was deep loss, there was great disappointment. They felt God abandoned them. They, they had just broken up with their boyfriend. It was just a lot of stuff going on in their life. So I knew they were battling depression in their lives. <clears throat> you know, our emotions really do affect our physical state. Does anybody know that's true? You know, see, I'm really convinced that you and I are far more complex than we realize. And so in our culture sometimes, we're so good about breaking everything down, and we have all these great different disciplines, and we can have people working on your mind, and then there's people working on your bodies, and there's people working on your spirits. But in reality, we're integrated. And so all these three things... They flow together, and so when there's a problem in one area, it affects the other areas. And so when you, when you start putting certain things in order, see, if I'm sick physically, it's going to even affect my emotions, and it even affects my spiritual well-being. I don't feel as close to God sometimes. And then when I'm doing, you know, when I'm close to God, and I feel good physically, and I feel good emotionally, man, I'm, I'm euphoric. Isn't that true? But when some of those things are happening that are not happening properly, like we're physically sick, it's going to affect my emotions. So we see that we're integrated. And that's, the, that's why it's so difficult to just say, well, it's just this problem or that problem. Or we need to understand, like needs to be a holistic understanding of the issue that we're looking at. Now, regardless of how depressed you might feel, we need to, I want you to know that God is with you and he will sustain you. Isn't it interesting that the book of Hebrews says something to us? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? So we can have this confidence that even though I may not see angels around me, God says, I do send them out, I dispatch them, and they're doing things to help you and I get through life. I might think that's kind of neat. And every once in a while, some people actually see an angel or God sends an angel and they look like a human being and they come along and help people. Sometimes, you know, strangers that have helped you may not have been an actual person. It could have been an angel. You don't know that, you know. And that's why a little later on in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and uh, verse 2, it says, do not forget to entertain strangers for by, by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. And I can give you an example from the Bible. I mean, think a lot. Here he was in Sodom, and God was about to do something very devastating to the community. And Abraham's interceding on behalf of that community and says, God, if there's even 10 righteous people, don't destroy it. And God says, if I can find 10 righteous people, I won't destroy it. Isn't that amazing? But I want you to know that Abraham stopped at 10. God didn't. You see, God was so concerned that he was willing to go down and rescue even one. And I want you to know God cares about you as an individual. And God sent angels and pulled out, you know, righteous Lot and his family. And unfortunately, of course, we know the story. Lot's wife turned back and looked. She, her heart was still in Sodom, you know, which was really tragic. And so that's a great lesson. We could preach on that as well, but I'm not going to do that. And then I think there's another sense of the understanding of the word angel. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, God's speaking to the church. He says, "Now speak to the angel of the church at Ephesus." Now that word "angel" there is not a, a, a divine angel. It's it's more the human angel, because the, the word "angel" literally means messenger. And so, in the book of Revelation. The seven angels that are described there are actually the leaders or the pastors or the communicators of the church. So, you know, you may not like this, but God's holding me in, my right, in his right hand. I'm his messenger to you today. I'm his angel I'm His messenger speaking His words to you, which are meant to sustain and strengthen and encourage and comfort you. But it's not just when I'm in a pastoral capacity, it's also believers. Sometimes you, you and I become angels away from being uh, in any sort of official capacity. when a brother or sister comes alongside of you and speaks just the right word you needed to hear at that moment. That's really God's message to you. And God sends people into our lives just at the right time to speak to us. I remember years ago as a young Bible college student, I was just going through a really challenging time. We had just finished school. We were Patty and I were waiting on God to know where God was going to send us, and uh, we had sold this little business that we had run while we were re- running, while we were th- going through college, and uh, so we were kind of, you know, waiting with, you know... God, please do something, right? And, you know, sometimes God sometimes just stops, you know, and you're just kind of waiting, 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 you know, okay, God, you know my address, you know my name, you know. And we used to have a prayer meeting, and some of the graduates from the school would show up, we'd pray together, and that night, nobody showed up. And that was a low point. I mean, you ever have those moments when you really need somebody, nobody's there. And then finally, you know, because we lived at the back of this house way up top, and we heard the doorbell ring downstairs, and we ran around to the front. And here was a guy who was new. I didn't know him. And he says, this is this where the prayer meeting's at? And I go, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he said, well, so-and-so mentioned it's just a phenomenal prayer meeting. he says, I said, yeah, come on up. So we came upstairs, and we started chatting. And no kidding, this guy was an angel because when he came that night, it was a low point, And he just prayed with us and spoke into our lives. And when he left, I just felt like, you know, wow, God, you care about me. You sent a total stranger to my home. Well, later on, I became a friend of his, but it's just so neat what God can do. The second aspect that brings hope in experiencing God is experiencing God's faithfulness. God is faithful. God is always there for us, even when we have responded poorly in challenging situations. How many can say that Elijah really lost a sense of perspective here? You know, like he... he, You know, and sometimes we do that. How many can say, every once in a while I've lost perspective in life? Anybody here that you kind of lost it? You just kind of missed where you should have been or just couldn't get where you should have gone or you just didn't understand what was going on and you're interpreting things in a most negative light? Isn't it true that we tend to do that? We can do that, can we not? And I always say to myself, things are never as bad as you think they are. On the other side, they're probably not as good as you think they are. <laughs> you know, we 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 want to live on a mountaintop. You know, we're kind of like the disciples. Lord, I want to build you know three tabernacles, I just want to hang up here. But God goes, no, 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 you gotta go down there and, and 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 be involved where there's people and pain and sorrow and all the hardships of life. You know, if we had our way, what we really want, I, I'll tell you the secret what we really want. We want to live with heaven on earth. We want to experience heaven right now. We want all the benefits of heaven right now. Come on, how many say that's true? I never want to be sick, I just want life to work, I want no problems in my life. Isn't that kind of what we want, heaven on earth? Absolutely. But that's not what we're being promised. That's, that's a little bit up here. We're gonna get there, folks. But down here, there's some real challenges. Jesus is in the world, you're gonna have some trouble. You know. But be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. We have a hope that transcends this world. We're not just living for just this world. That doesn't mean we're in a denial state and saying who cares what happens to this world. No, we need to care what's happening in this world. But it's not our ultimate destination. This is not our ultimate home. Well, the Elijah was discouraged, he was afraid, he was in despair and he surrendered to his emotional fears. Nobody in this room has ever surrendered to their emotions. (laughs) Thanks, Cam. That's an acknowledgement, oh yeah. A few of us have surrendered to our emotions from time to time, isn't that true? And I, I can just imagine he's saying, God, I've poured out my life. I've lived for you. I've done everything you told me to do and life isn't working out. And I've heard people say to me, it doesn't really pay to serve God. I've done everything right. And where's God in this situation? Anybody ever heard that line? You know, that sounds like Malachi because God's challenging him. He says, you said it doesn't pay to serve me. Well, I'm gonna just tell you, I've been a Christian for over 41 years, uh, 40 more than that, a long time now, four decades plus. And I wanna say that it does pay to serve God. But there are moments you kind of wonder. <laughs> there's moments you go, "Hey, it's getting pretty dark here, God. Where's the light bulb?" You know, right? There's some challenging moments. And I want to just say the other thing was, you know, a lot of times as Christians, we're trying to control outcomes, you know? You know, we're we're trying to get our kids to do all the right stuff and they're not quite cooperating, you know? You know, there's no control freaks in the room, is there? You know, I I just want to pop your bubble. You've never been in control. You know, it doesn't work that way. You and I do the right things, but we can't just say if I do A, B, and C, it's guaranteed we're going to get X, Y, and Z. It just doesn't work that way, folks. I'm going to say, just do the right stuff, but you can't control the outcomes. You have to just trust God's working out His purposes in these things. Don't get discouraged. Elijah was discouraged. Eventually, he was depressed. Finally, he heads off to Mount Horeb. It says here uh, in verse five, he says he had something to eat. The angel touched him, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid back down again. He was tired. He was depressed. Remember I told you, you can be out of it. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat. Wow. Do you know what? Even though we missed, even though God comes along and ministers to us once, here I read, He needed a second touch. How many ever needed a second touch? How many ever needed a third touch and a fourth touch and a fifth touch, right? Well, he needed a more than one touch, and the angel came back, he says to him, Hey, listen, he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Some of you say, give me that angel food. This is the ultimate power drink, right? He said, he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and he went into a cave, and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You ever have God say that to you? Why are you here? What are you doing? I mean, we can say that about ourselves emotionally. Why are you even camped there? You know, why are you buying that story? Why are you listening to the lies of the enemy in your head? Why are you listening to that negative messaging that's going on, that you're valueless, you're worthless, you're not amounting to anything? Oh, I tell you, the enemy, he's a great accuser. But here's God talking to Elijah. He's going to correct him. Can I just say correction is also an expression of love? We have a hard time with that as culture today. If you try to correct people, you just devastated me. Well, you know, God's gonna correct you once in a while. I would argue if you've never been corrected, you better be worried because the book of Hebrews says God chastens or corrects every child of his. So if God's correcting me, I go, I feel good now. I'm a family member. Right? That's right. That's what the Bible says. Even though Elijah was struggling with God's purposes for his life, God still came to him in his time of depression. God never gives up on his children. He's always at work in our lives. But you say, I'm out of God's will. I've sinned. I've disobeyed. I failed. God says, I still care for you. How many are glad of that? I'm glad. Even when I mess up, God goes, well, I haven't given up on you. Even though you're unfaithful, I'm still faithful. Thank God for that. I remember years ago when I was a new Christian how many know when you're a new Christian, you have a tendency to go up and down? Man, there's moments you're flying, and then there's other moments you're just kind of like gophering. You know, you're just like burrowing. I mean, it's just bad, you know, you're up and down. And I remember this song by Dallas Home, that tells you how long ago I got saved, you know? Most of you go, who? Some of you old timers will know who he is. And he had this amazing song that stated the goodness and faithfulness of God, especially in times of our failure. He need, one line says it all, though I may have been out of his will, I've never been out of his care. Oh, I love that line. God's care doesn't stop because of our failures or sins. Some of you need to write that down. God's care doesn't stop. How many parents are here? Your kid messes up. You don't say, well, I stopped loving you now. You think you're better than God? Oh, my goodness. I think some parents do give up, but God doesn't give up. God never stops working. I love that song we sang, God never stops working. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't think anything's happening, God is still working. I love that. It's the truth, that's why I like it. Wow. He comes to Elijah, no condemnation, simply a challenge. You know what he's basically saying, Elijah, you're gonna have to move on. You can't camp here. You're not gonna live in this state of mind. What we need to hear is don't allow the past to define your future. Did you hear that? Some of you say, yeah, but I'm still camped on this failure. Move on. Ask God to forgive you. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Move on. Create a new future. How do you do that? By addressing the issues of today. Do you know today's a new day? Let me tell you something. This is one of my favorite verses. Today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? That God is in the moment. God is here right now. God is in this present moment. You can have a new beginning. I love that. Today is the day of salvation. You say, what is salvation? Deliverance. Salvation means freedom. Salvation means hope. Salvation means grace. Salvation means whatever you need at this moment in your life. God says, I'm here to do it. Let me move on to the third aspect that brings hope is that change can happen. Oh, I'm so glad for that. You know, sometimes you've been in a dark time and you go, I must be in a cave. And the answer is no, you're in a tunnel. (laughs) And some of them are long tunnels. (laughs) There is gonna be light at the other end, hang in there. Uh, You know, when you're in this this depressed state of mind, you think this will never end. That's true, that's where you're at. But there's gonna become a light. I think we lose sense of the sovereignty of God in our lives. We lose the sense that God has everything under control. We say to ourselves, can God really use this depression to further his cause? What do you think? I think so. Can it be a tool to help conform you and I more into his image? And though the enemy may be using it to assail our soul like Job, and though the enemy means it for our hurt, God can use it for our good. You know, if God can use the greatest evil, which was the crucifixion of a sinless, wonderful son of God to make it become the greatest good. Joseph being sold into slavery, right? Put in prison, falsely accused. And the Bible says later on when, when Joseph is elevated out of prison, becomes the prime minister of the land, and his brothers now are filled with guilt and said, you know, Joseph, can you ever forgive us? Matter of fact, they come to him very sneakily because they're afraid of him and they said, you know, their dad had just died. They probably figured the only reason we're living is dad's alive, but now that dad's dead, Joseph can take us out. And so they come fearfully and said, you know, when dad died, he said, you have to forgive us. Joseph said, hey guys, I feel so bad you felt this way for so long. I want you to know something. What youth meant for evil, God has used for good. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, let me tell you something. This may seem evil to you. This time of darkness may seem evil to you, but God's going to use it for good. I remember reading uh, years ago uh, a book basically well let me just, yeah, by uh, Don Baker called "Depression: Finding Hope and Meaning in Life's Darkest Shadows." And he was a pastor, very successful pastor in Oregon and and extreme, he said, I got so busy, I forgot to spend time cultivating my soul. I ran myself ragged. How many know you can get in trouble doing that? And he wasn't even waiting on God anymore. He was just too busy doing ministry, and pretty soon he became barren in his soul, and pretty soon God just put, allowed him to put the brakes on, and he just cratered. He had a nervous breakdown. Eventually he was depressed. He ended up becoming institutionalized. He couldn't even function, couldn't eat, he couldn't do anything straight. His brain wasn't even working right. He just, he just felt, this is so bad. And he said for four years he was battling depression. It was so dark he said that I, did, I didn't even know where I was. That's, that's, that's intense, folks. But he said finally one day I finally started awakening. And I started ministering because I saw people in the institution that needed help and because I'd been a pastor. And now I began to reconnect with God and began to minister to people. And out of this process, God began to heal them. And it was a process. It wasn't an instantaneous moment. Zappy got healed. It was like he just began to do some of the things he knew he should do. He started connecting with God. He started ministering to other people. He started focusing off himself and started focusing on others. Pretty soon he was lifted. His spirits began to lift. And eventually uh, he was transformed. There was a new depth to his ministry, a new level of compassion, a new level of empathy for other people that he never had before. How many know that when you and I walk through a dark time, God can use those moments in our lives to transform us? It changes our perspective. As a matter of fact, change happens to us, in us, when perspectives change. And you know what, that's really the nature of repentance, so I skipped over a part, but that's okay. You know, pain has a way of getting us to... our attention in order for us to re-examine some of the things in our life, it opens us up for whole new ways of seeing things and doing things. It's interesting here that in chapter 19 in verse 9, it says, then he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. He says, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, I'm the only one left. And now they're all trying to kill me. Well, later on God says, no, your your, your perspective is wrong. There's actually 7,000 in the land that have now bowed their knee to Baal. You know, sometimes we think we're the only one doing the right thing. Hey, no, there's a lot of other people doing the right thing. But the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want to just say something. Remember, Elijah is classified as the prophet of fire. If you study his life, he's constantly calling fire down from heaven. I mean, he's a fiery personality. And so often, you know, this prophet of fire, who, uh, the man of fire, the prophet of fire, who saw God work in such dramatic ways is now discovering that God also works in less dramatic ways. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't in the terrible wind, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the small, gentle whisper. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're always waiting for the dramatic. Gonna, let's be honest. Yeah. We want the dramatic, God. You know, lay it out. But sometimes God just comes along in the mundane and the ordinary. You know why people miss God today? They can't see him in the mundane and the ordinary. How many know when the Son of God came to earth, that was pretty mundane and pretty ordinary. Just two young, a young couple come in on a road... You know, woman pregnant, on a donkey, they come into Bethlehem. You know, God was about to invade the planet and it was just ordinary and mundane. Most people didn't see it. How many of that's true? Yeah. Folks, we have to be careful that we're not looking for all the big stuff and we miss the ordinary where God is actually working. And that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, I like it when God comes in the dramatic, but you know what? He doesn't always do it that way. As a matter of fact, when we're in pain, what do we want? We want to be healed. I think that's legitimate. But the reality is, God doesn't always do that right away. You know, sometimes he, he, he does things in different ways. As a matter of fact, James challenges us to take a different approach to our trials. He says, count it all joy when you have all these problems in your life. Now, how many of us go, yeah, that's just how I handle it, Pastor. When I have all these difficulties, I just start thanking God and counting it pure joy. Most of us go, that's not how I respond to it, Pastor. I'm usually bouncing, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I have all these things. But, you know, James goes on and pray. He says, then pray, you know, here's the next line that you think he would say, well, why don't you pray for God to deliver you? But he doesn't even say, suggest that. He says, pray the God of wisdom. Pray for wisdom. That's an interesting thought. Maybe what we need to be saying is, okay, God, this has happened. Now what do you want to say? Now what do you want to do? I need wisdom. I need to understand what you're doing in this trial. I need to understand, you know, what you want me to learn from this experience. I'm, I'm looking to understand what's happening, but I'm going to rest on that. If you don't answer me, if you don't explain to me, that's your business, but I'm still going to ask for wisdom, at least wisdom to how to respond correctly in the trial. Let me move on. The final uh, aspect is discovering a new purpose for life. You know, God gave Elijah a new mandate, a new ministry emphasis, a renewed sense of purpose. You know what happens when we lose? We lose out. Sometimes we feel like our life's come to an end. You know why young people can't cope with crisis and trial? They don't have enough experience. They give up. Isn't that true? See, as you mature, you begin to realize something. One of the ways God changes direction in our lives, God changes purposes in our lives, is many times He's closing a door and He uses difficulties to realign us to move in a new direction, a new focus in our lives and ministry. Often in pain, what do we focus on? The pain. That's right. And what I think we need to do is say, okay, I, 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 I know there's pain in my life. I'm not in denial. I accept that there's pain here. But what are you launching me into, Lord? Isn't it true that, uh, you know, Job, think about his time. He was in a lot of pain. Do you know what happened? I, I love the book of Job because I, I think it's showing us a whole bunch of lessons in this book. Well, number one, I think Job's theology was the same as his friend's. But when his experience was different than his theology, he had to reevaluate his theology. Sometimes our theology is wrong. Sometimes our understanding of God is wrong. God is gonna deepen and expand our understanding. And he'll use experiences that push us beyond our limited scope of understanding. How many think that's probably one way God's gonna teach us new lessons? He uses pain to get our attention. Yeah. He did in Job's life, and all of a sudden, you know, these guys are saying, no reason you're sick, Job, is because you've sinned. Job goes, hey, listen, I know one thing about myself. I know I'm sick, and I know I haven't sinned, and I don't know why this is happening. But he said, I'd really like God to explain it, and Job got a little, you know, feisty about it, and said, you know, when God shows up here, I'm I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna put him on trial. How many know, by the end of the book, God's got Job on trial? You know, like, I got a few questions for you, Job. You answer my questions, I'll answer yours. Job goes, I'm a stupid guy, you know, you know. I've heard about you, now I see you, you know. And, and basically Job says, I was wrong. I, I realized I've had an experience. And, I, and I, when I preached that series through the whole book of Job, I, I came to the end of the messages and I basically said this to people. I said, you have a choice. Do you always want to understand or would you just rather have the presence of God? I said, God never did explain to Job why, but God did come to him in his hour of brokenness. What do you want? An answer or the presence of God? I'm going to shoot for the presence of God. I don't need all the answers. I just need God's presence. Job figured that out. That's powerful stuff. That's what I'm trying to say here. And here here he has a new purpose. You know, before he's confronting a nation, now God's got him recommissioning other people to do ministry. You know, it's one thing to do ministry yourself, it's another thing to develop others to do ministry. What do you think is greater? The latter. Yeah. And when you think about Jesus, he only had three years on the planet. What was Jesus busy doing? You know, he was really developing 12 men to go out and do this ministry. He was training other people. That's a very powerful thought that we could be doing that. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years, and Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. How many know, or yeah, chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. How many know Paul had a very difficult life? Anybody know that? Do you know he suffered a lot, bringing the gospel? But you know what he says? I've learned that when I am weak, then am I strong. Isn't that an interesting concept? And we sometimes have to learn that lesson. And, I'll, and I'll, i I've been sharing this thought that I heard, I was listening to some lectures this week, and this one guy says, one of the problems in our culture today is that we only accept God in our lives in gaps. In other words, when it doesn't make sense or when I'm hurting too much, then I'm open for God to come into my life. But when everything is going great, usually the gaps shrink and pretty soon I'm just relying on myself again. You think that might be true? Yeah. And so what's happening is we get COVID-19, all of a sudden the gap widened. And, you know, people are going, I just can't depend on myself right now. Things are not, you know, things, I just can't handle this. Or I, you know, I'm starting to realize how much I really need God in my life. I think it's a great thing for us to discover we need God. That's a healthy thing in this culture. This culture is really hard to reach because they don't see their need for God, but when life isn't working, then people start realizing I do need God. And that's a powerful thing. But here's what I learned when I was a younger leader. I was reading an article once, and I developed a spiritual equation. And it went something like this, struggling minister equals blessed congregation. Because when I am no longer looking to myself and trusting in myself and I'm really struggling, many times in my weakness, God uses that to help other people. Isn't that amazing? So we think we have to have our act all together in order to really help people when the reality is it's probably the inverse. It's probably the opposite of that. When you and I don't think we have our act together, when we're currently struggling and we're crying out to God and we're seeking God with our whole heart and we're standing and trusting All of a sudden, God can use that time in our life because now we're broken. And how many recognize that it's in the brokenness of life that people are blessed? As a matter of fact, I would argue that until you're broken, you can't really be used by God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, you know, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. You know, Jesus, to feed the 5,000, he had to break the loaves and break the fish so that people, it could be multiplied. And when God allows brokenness to come into our lives, all of a sudden, people are nurtured and nourished through our experiences if we develop the right heart attitude. Wow. Well, it says here in our text in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Oh, I love that. That's a powerful statement. You know, a lot of times we, take, we deviate off of God's path. God says, you know that path you deviated from? Go back up that road and go right back to where you were. You know, sometimes we run from God. Elijah was running from God. Anybody ever run from God? You know, and God says, no, no, come on back here. Come on, come on back. I've got something for you to do. Isn't that beautiful that God just says, well, you're a f- you flunked. I'm not going to use you, you know. Jonah! It's a classic case, man, he says, I'm not going to know Nineveh. He even pays the fare to go on a boat to take, take him away from Nineveh. You know, it always costs you something when you're running from God. And how many know God had to bring him back for submarine ride? <laughs> right? Throw me overboard, he says. And while he's in the belly of that great fish, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God recommissioned him. And I want to declare to you, you may be in a dark place today. You may even be battling depression. God has something good for you. God wants to speak into your life again. God wants to give you another word. God wants to recommission you. God wants to repurpose you. God wants to re, you know, Patty and I, we watch this crazy show on TV, Salvage Dogs. You know, it's all about repurposing. You know, I I don't know, I like that show. It's weird. They, They tear apart old things and then they repurpose them. I want you to know God's in the repurposing business. He wants to take our lives that are broken and marred by sin. He wants to repurpose them and use them in a way that people would just look at that and go, I never saw that in you. I have never saw that that could happen through you. Isn't that an amazing thing? I love that about God. So what would God have us do in our darkest moments, even the moments of Depression. I want to go back to Psalm 42 and 43. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Listen to what God says through Isaiah. God says, he will give to us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Despite our emotional state, we need to look up. We begin to need to thank God for who he is and what he is about to do. We're called to rejoice in the Lord. When? I will bless the Lord when I'm not despairing and I'm not depressed. It doesn't say that. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, you ever made an offering of praise? This is it. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let us move our focus upward and find the joy that sustains us even when experiencing emotional pain in our lives. So I'm going to challenge you. You know what? You know, I I tell people. I had somebody in. I said, no, you need to go see the doctor. You probably have some chemical imbalances. I think that's important. You know, it's pretty hard to do emotionally good work in your soul if you're paralyzed in your thinking. You know, you got to get the chemicals flowing, right? Some people need that help. That's what Dr. Hindmarsh uh, shared with me, shared with our class. But he said the problem sometimes with people is they go to the doctor, they get the little pill, they start feeling better and they don't do the good work of addressing why they were depressed. See, gotta do that work. But the ultimate work, and I'm gonna just say this, is getting to know God. Because you know, the Bible does teach when you don't have God in your life, there's not a lot of hope. When you start putting God in your life, there's all kinds of hope. Hope, really, I I would say that must be God's middle name. He just fills us with hope. And so you and I need to learn how to thank God. We need to learn how to praise Him. Even with tears running down of pain, we just need to learn to say, Lord, even though I'm 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 broken even though I feel in despair, even though you may feel a thousand miles from me. Emotionally, I feel flat. I'm just going to acknowledge who you are and worship and praise you. And sometimes in those moments, something happens in our spirit. Because I believe that there's a part of us that transcends your emotions, and it's your spirit. And when your spirit begins to worship God, it can actually lift your emotional state of well-being and and move you to a state of well-being. I've I've experienced that in my life where I made this conscious decision, I'm going to worship God no matter how I feel. Something happened inside of me. The spirit of God came upon me. And the spirit of praise, the garment of praise wrapped itself around me for that spirit of heaviness. And it lifted my soul. Isn't that beautiful? So let's just lift our hearts right now. Father, we just lift our hearts to you. I just want you right now to say, God, you are so good. You are so loving. I praise you today. You're so worthy of all my adoration. You deserve my life. I give it to you. In whatever condition my soul is in today, I lift my soul to you. I give you my soul, it could be broken today, it could be depressed, it could be despairing, it could be discouraged, but I'm gonna lift my soul. It could be full of joy. I don't know where your soul is at today, but I lift my soul to you today. I worship and honor your name. You are worthy of my thanksgiving and praise. You are worthy of my adoration this morning, and I adore you. I adore you, and I thank you that your word declares you will never leave me You will never forsake me, that you are with me. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Remember, we're going to usher you out. So wait till the ushers come and release your rope. Thank you. God bless you.